the reading tonight is taken from Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 11. And you can find that in various different Bibles that we've got at the back of church. Um, in the Red Bible, um, it's on 738, and the uh, other pages are behind me. So that's Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 11. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, uh, sorry. Uh, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my eyes. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, because the Sovereign Lord helped me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know, and I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring me charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my, confront my accuser? Let me confront him. It is the Sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all of you who light fires and who provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and in the torches you have set ablaze. That is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ruth, thanks very much um, for reading that for us. And uh, keep that passage open. This is the last of the servant songs. Um, and uh, there are four of them, as Tim said. And we're, we're doing number three, which is weird. But we did number four at, at the Easter music. And this quiet little evening tonight. Um, I hope you will find this helpful. Um, it's going to be about discipleship, and it's going to be about Jesus as the model disciple, and uh, this is going to be about how we imitate Jesus. We don't often talk about imitating Jesus. We often think of Jesus as doing something that we couldn't possibly do ourselves, which is true. He saved the world, and we couldn't do that. But this is actually about, in, in terms of how he acts as a disciple, it's, it, it's what we're meant to follow what we're meant to copy so i'm going to pray and ask that god will help us and help me as we look at this lord jesus we believe this passage is uh, pointing to you it's fulfilled in you and uh, therefore we pray that uh, we you will help us to see how you acted as a perfect disciple and how we might uh, walk in your ways, follow you, copy you, imitate you. So please help us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, many years ago, my, my children uh, loved dressing up. and I, I was going to do a picture of this, but I thought it was just so, so cute that I would lose you from looking at it. It's a little child, a little baby who's dressed up in his daddy's suit. And all you see is this little head coming through, and then this huge suit 
Um, and my children used to love dressing up and getting into our clothes. And, you know, they would wear the suits and the arms would uh, go down uh, a distance. And I, I, I would say to them, one day you will grow up and you will fill out that suit. And uh, it's kind of quite a good picture of, of Jesus as it were, his frame, his, and, and one day we, we, we're meant to grow up and, and fill, out, um, uh, 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 fill out what he's like. There's a whole meme of these photographs, by the way. I didn't know what meme meant until, until this week, but I know it's a, apparently that's a cool thing to say. But anyway, there is, and uh, you can see them. So uh, there you are. That, don't look at it now. Just stay with me. Stay with me. And if you're into the golf, don't look at that either. So, right, here we go. So, um, Servant songs. This little section, Isaiah uh, 40 to, I think, 55. Um, you, if you read the whole thing through, it feels as if there's a dispute going on. It feels as if there's a kind of a lawsuit going on. Um, and you'll see in chapter 44, um, the Lord saying, for instance, set for, I think it's 44, set forth your case, Israel. Put your case forward. And it's the Lord is having a dispute with his servants, the people of Israel. He's saying, this is what you should have been. This is what you should have been doing. This is how you should have been acting. But you, you're not acting like that. So the Lord speaks. He speaks to, the, to his servants. And sometimes the servants, the people of Israel, respond. But then another figure comes into this discussion between two people. It's a third party. And the third party is the true servant, and he mysteriously comes in, and he is, in some senses, as they ought to be. Look at my servant, my true servant, the Lord says. Now, in this particular passage, um, it's not the Lord speaking about his servant. Actually, the servant, this particular person, speaks about himself. He's having what they call a soliloquy. You know, sometimes you get that in Shakespeare. That's, um, you know, where he's sort of musing to himself. And in verses 4 to 11, this is, well, particularly 4 to 9, I think, um, this, is, uh, this, this is his sort of musings in chapter 50. Um, uh, and maybe 10 might be uh, part of the musing as well, or it might be Isaiah's comment. And so here is a picture as he goes through, he, 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 as it were, models what it is to be a true disciple. As I said, often Jesus does things we couldn't do. But there are instances where we're meant to walk in his ways. To walk in his footsteps. And a person called Thomas Kempis many years ago, wrote a book called The Imitation of Christ. And so there is in, in this Something to imitate. So I'm going to begin by looking at the unique disciple. That is um, what the New, the, the New Testament of, picks up these passages and says, this, this refers to Jesus, this servant is Jesus. And so I think I'm okay in saying, as we look at this, this is in the Old Testament a picture of Jesus, the unique disciple. And there's something here that we're meant to admire, almost, in Jesus. Um, 
It's, uh, and, and, and we're meant to overhear him speaking as he's talking about it. And I want you to see this lovely combination. First of all, his tenderness. Look at this in verse, in, in verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. It's a lovely description, isn't it? A word that, that sustains the weary. Now, the weary are the people like us who are overhearing him give his little soliloquy. And uh, we're, we're, we're those, and, and certainly they were believers whose strength was almost gone. They were worn down by ridicule, worn down by abuse. And the servant has just the right word to say. He is, and he's called in Isaiah earlier on, he's called the Wonderful Counselor. It's a great passage for, for, for pastoral counselors, this. It's a great, lovely, lovely passage. A, a right word to sustain the weary. Earlier on, in the first servant song, we, we, we see something of this in chapter 42. Uh, we're, told he's a, um, uh, we're told a bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning candle he will, will not quench. Just think of a, a, a reed that's perhaps bruised or even broken. Just gone through so much. Or you feel as if the, your light has almost gone out. It's flickering. There was a very famous Puritan uh, preacher called the uh, called Dr. Sibbs, Richard, Richard Sibbs, I think, and he was called the Heavenly Dr. Sibbs because he, he, he wrote a, a book. He wrote, well, he actually preached a load of sermons and it was all put in a book. Um, on this particular section, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning candle he will not quench. And it's a very famous, um, famous book and I, I read sort of little sections of it. Here's a quote from it. Uh, saying that Jesus was very, talking about Jesus being sensitive to the fragile spiritual state of his followers. Concerning Christ, he said, he is a physician good at all diseases, especially at the binding up of a broken heart. And uh, it makes you want to read it, doesn't it? And here then is a wonderful, gentle, tender disciple. And if we are to be like him, then, then to serve the Lord, we, we need to be good with the weary and the bruised. <laughs> and in order to do that, I'm going to talk about how to do that. But at least, first of all, the, work, the Lord needs to work first on your own heart to bind up your own wounds, not necessarily to heal you entirely, but to make you aware of what your wounds are and sometimes out of your wounds to help others. Another famous Christian called uh, Henri Nguyen wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. And you know, the, the one who was doing the healing was also wounded. Do you find that people are drawn to you? Do you have that attractive tenderness in you? Gosh, I wish I did all the time. Or even some of the time, perhaps. No, but then there's a contrast. <laughs> because his tenderness is matched by his toughness. Look at the path 
that the servant was called to take. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who, who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. No. And, and that very first sense, I have not turned away, really is, I didn't chicken out. I could have chickened out, but I didn't chicken out. No, I knew what was coming to me. I knew what it was going to be. I didn't hide my face from the spitting. I don't know if you ever, anybody's ever been so angry with you that they kind of almost got up to your face and you can sort of, you know, just wiping away the, the spit. And look at this. Look at this for toughness. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like a flint. That's a, a, a powerful picture, isn't it? And uh, you, you, we, we read in the New Testament, don't we, that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Do you remember that? Set his face to go to Jerusalem. My, my, my uh, you know, I've got two daughters and uh, one of them's a landscape architect, um, who you know well, Claire. The other one is um, a geologist, uh, environmental uh, geologist, um, and a mum as well, full-time mum. Um, but she, she, I asked her about Flint. She said, well, it scores 7 out of 10 for uh, hardness, apparently. Uh, diamond causes, uh, uh, scores 10 out of 10. But she said to me that, uh, in, particularly at this time, they made loads of tools out of Flint because it was the hardest readily available material. You're not going to find diamonds, you know, I was going to say on the soles of your feet. And there's a little reference to uh, Paul Simon there. But um, no, you, you're going to find flint around the place and you're going to take it and you're going to use that flint. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the stuff they used for material. Now put tenderness and toughness together. And you say to yourself, well, that is a unique combination almost, isn't it? It's quite a remarkable combination. And think of Jesus when he's, when, he's with, um, when he's with the woman at the well or, 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 there are, or when he's touching the leper. And think of him speaking to the Pharisees. Tough. Tender and tough. And it's very difficult to hold that. And our tendency is to be tough on others and tender to, our, tender to ourselves, aren't we? Jesus is, is both. And, uh, and, and I don't think any of us have that perfectly. And so I wanted you to see this disciple, this, this unique disciple, first of all, that is the model for you to follow. Just down the road here, we have um, teaching hospitals. And some of you have um, done your medicine there. Um, and it may be that you were really hoping for a particular professor to learn from. Uh, I was reading at a quick glance through um, the life of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher. But before he was a preacher, he was a, me he was a medic at Bart's Hospital in London. And uh, he was lucky enough to have uh, as his tutor the famous Sir Thomas Horder, physician who um, was physician to the king, King Edward, and uh, he was, he looked up to him. He said he, 
he had this sort of logic of approaching from first principles. And, uh, and you could see that worked out in the great preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. As he preached, he just unraveled from first principles and laid it all out before you. So there's the unique disciple that we're to look at. Now then, what then are the marks of this disciple that we could pick up from? And we're going to look in a little bit deeper now into the passage. And there are three marks here. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't... Uh, there was a lovely visual here um, of an open ear. Um, I had a picture of a, of, a, of a mobile phone that had a casing with an ear on it. It looked really cool. But sorry, I forgot that picture as well. So... I must be needing to retire. Anyway, we move on. <laughs> An open ear. Now, look at, look at verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. That's an interesting way of putting it. So he can speak the right words, okay? He can speak the word that sustains the weary. But how does he speak the words? Well, the secret is in the ear. He wakens me morning by morning. I love that picture. I don't know how you are when you wake up in the morning. Oh, I feel grumpy. No, the Lord's giving you a nudge. Oi, wake up, I've got something to say. Listen, listen, get your Bible out. <laughs> he wakens me morning by morning. Wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. Do you see the secret of wise words is an open ear to what God is saying to you. To what, how God is opening up his word to you. In the Gospels, Mark chapter 7, I think it is, there's a story of a, of a deaf and mute person. Uh, and uh, you, you, if you have ever met someone who is profoundly deaf, you'll know that um, it, it's hard for them to speak with clarity. Um, and... Jesus is going to heal him, so he's going to be able to speak. But the first thing he does is, I think he licks his finger and he sticks it in his ear. So he deals with the ear first. And you see in, in, Mark, in Mark chapter 7, he says, he, he healed his ear and then he was able to speak clearly. Now, I think this is a really key thing in our discipleship. I want to encourage you um, uh, to uh, have that regular appointment with the Lord God morning by morning. I, I always think morning's the best, but there you are. Um, no, no way around it, I think. A regular appointment and uh, I, I, to, to hear that word. Look at, I mean, Jesus' attitude to the word of God. He's the son of God, but his attitude to the word of God in so many places is he's always listening to it. When he was uh, attacked by the devil, tempted by the devil, he kept saying, it is written, it is written. He quotes 24 Old Testament books. Um, I think there are only 39 maybe in the Old Testament. Or, I'm 40, I'm not quite sure. Um, but um, uh, he, he keeps, you know, he's close to the, the word of God. He wakens my ear. I have a lovely, um, let's just turn to this if you're, um, if you can, if you've got your Bibles. Would you like to turn to Psalm 40? One of my favorite verses, this. And uh, if uh, you, somebody hasn't got a Bible, just show them the, 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 the word next. 
next door. So it's page 566, and uh, verse 6 is the one I want you to look at. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Okay, that's, that's how it's translated. But then always good is to look at the footnote. So look at the footnote. You see the little letter um, C, I think it is, isn't it? Look at the footnote. And you'll see, and the letter C, it says, uh, oh, um, oh, that's interesting. It's a different footnote to the one I normally use. Okay. A body you have prepared for me. Well, there's another version of that. Sorry. Um, this, is, this is complete. This is a fail. Sorry about this. It, it, it actually is, in the Hebrew, it's better than that. It is, um, uh, if you look at, the, uh, in my ESV, it says, um, uh, an ear you have dug for me. I'm sorry, that is actually the literal translation. It's better than a body you prepared. It's, so you're going you're gonna to get confused by that. But actually, it is, that's can totally ruined the point. But um, an ear you have dug for me is the idea. That's actually what it says in the Hebrew. Just trust me. You can always trust a vicar. And, um, it, it, and what I think he's saying is, You've got a bonehead, right? You've got a bonehead. And I've got to dig your ear out. I've got to dig a hole here to, to get in. And uh, so let me ask you a, a, a kind of really weird question. Um, do you read your, your Bible with your ears? <laughs> like you're reading it, right? But you're just like reading it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or do you actually read and, and kind of like, what are you saying, Lord? What are you saying? Do you read with your ears? It, it's an unusual idea. Uh, but you need to develop. But that's because the word, you see, God's word was spoken first. Then it was written down. Then it was read. But it's meant to be heard. You see? So it was spoken, meant to be heard. Yeah, okay, it's written down. Okay, it was, and, you know, and so on and so forth. But meant to be heard. Very important. Okay, first one. I'm sorry, I spent a long time on that. An unbending face to, a, to obey going to say a face like flint, but I, I wanted to have this unbending uh, idea here. The Christian life involved cost, and it, it involves giving up your ambitions. Um, it, it means certainly giving up your idols. It may involve some minor or even major suffering for your faith. Um, and, and it's worth saying that Jesus' suffering was for the benefit of his persecutors, um, uh, when he suffered, it was for the sake of others. But uh, sometimes, you know, when we, when we suffer, we have to, we, we suffer because we're insisting on the right path for the good of others. When I worked for Rolls-Royce Motors, uh, and you may have heard this illustration before, but as I said, I'm retiring, so I'm going to tell you. Um, I, I, I remember a big argument with the, with the personnel director and the finance director. And the managing director, and I was there as the personnel officer, the HR officer, and they were arguing about a bonus scheme that was, they were going to put in for the workers. It was a clever bonus scheme because it looked as if you were going to get a big bonus, but actually it was going to be clawed back. That's very clever. And the finance director refused to um, present it to the workers. 
and the pressure on him was immense. And I, I, I take my hat off to him. He said, I should never forget it. He said, if I do this, they will never trust me again. If I put this bonus scheme forward, they will never trust me again. Now, sometimes you have to be like that. You've got to say, I'm sorry, but I'm not doing that. And there is an integrity that comes from it. Do you remember the story of, of Daniel? Um, of course, we all know the, very, the, you know the famous story of Daniel and, and the writing on the wall. And you know he spoke before King Nebuchadnezzar and, and told him what's what. But we forget, chapter 1, in chapter 1, Daniel is a, a younger lad. Um, he, uh, there was a, he, he decided he wasn't going to eat the king's rich food. And everybody says, well, why did he do that? He said, it doesn't mean very much. Why did he decide not to eat at the king's table? And nobody really knows why, by the way. I've looked at all the commentaries, so nobody's really sure. But it was just like he drew a little line in the sand. It was a little obedience. He said, no, do you know, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to do that. It's a little thing. Nobody made a fuss of it, and he just had vegetables, didn't have the rich food, and he was fine on it. It's a little obedience. But that little obedience, that sort of, I'm not going to cross that line. Years later, there he is before King Belshazzar, and the writing's on the wall. He tells the king, make your times up, mene, mene, tekel, passing. You, uh, you've had it. This is, it, it's all over tomorrow. And, uh, and, and, in the, and, and he was offered all sorts of things. I don't want them. So the boldness of Daniel came from the little obedience. Let's start small, right? Let's start small. A little, little obedience. And it's amazing how that, that helps you. The unbending face to obey. And thirdly, a great hope for future vindication. Um, and uh, this is... And um, this is the, um, the hardest thing to deal with as a Christian is, one of the hard, is, is public condemnation. Yeah, and, 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 and at the moment, I was just chatting with, with Phil beforehand, there are, there are, you know, it's, we get these virtue signalers, you know, the people who are, you know, I'm right and I'm offended by what you've said and so on and so forth. And, and, and it's actually quite hard holding a Christian point of view and even sharing it in public. And there's been a bit of a hoo-ha about uh, Billy Vunipola, the England rugby uh, number eight. And um, he's sort of put forward a, an orthodox view of marriage and you know, he's being investigated. Now, it's complicated because he liked a tweet from somebody else that was a little bit, um, you know, wasn't very well put. Let's put it like that. But, um, and whatever you think about that whole, whole thing, you know that sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to say something. And if you do own up that you're a Christian, the views of other people can, can really, really affect you. And there are real echoes of Romans 8 here, about our f- famous chapter. You know, where, let's, uh, verse 8. Um, who is there to, uh, let me just. Yes, who, verse 8 and 9. Who is there to condemn me? Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. Very much like Romans 8. 
Um, if you've read, read the end of that chapter, who is there to condemn you? And what that's saying, and what, uh, in fact, this is saying as well is, do not worry about the views of the many. The one person you need to worry about is the view of the one. Very early on in my Christian life, and I wish I could li live up to it all the time, somebody said to me, um, I think just before I was about to go on stage, <laughs> I think, um, don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Uh, you have an audience of one. Play to the audience of one. Just please him. And don't worry what everybody else thinks. And you will be vindicated. You will be vindicated. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's the mark of a disciple. Open ear, an unbending face, and a great hope that the Lord is pleased. That's what matters. And I wish I could live up to that. But that's what the Lord Jesus was like. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll come on to how we can do it, um, perhaps. So the, I didn't, the foundation for every disciple. What's the foundation then what's the thing that helps us most of all? Do you see a phrase that's repeated again and again and again in uh, verses 4 to, to 9? It's the phrase, the sovereign Lord. He's the one who knows everything. Do you think the sovereign Lord? Because the sovereign Lord helps me, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears, it is the sovereign Lord who helps me again in verse 9, who will condemn me. The Sovereign Lord. He knows. And He will work it for good. He knows and He will work it for good. That's what Romans 8 teaches us. And uh, you know, just take great comfort in that. There is a God who's in charge here. And yes, you go through a tough patch at the moment. But He will work it for good. And so we finish with two pictures. Two pictures of, uh, of people in the world. Verses 10 and 11. The first are those who obey him. And the second are those who go by their own wisdom. Here's the first. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? And this is of such a Great description for you and me. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Isn't that a helpful picture? You're walking along, and although you're a Christian, and you know, you're, you're meant to be walking in the light, you are in, the, in, in, in relationship with Jesus, but it feels like you can't see where you're going. But when you can't see where you're going, you can listen to the word of the Lord, can't you? You can hear his word. Just keep going and trust in the Lord. Now, there are other people who think they know what they're doing. And they all light fires. And they, they have their own light. They have their own flaming torches. And uh, 
I think it's Isaiah here. He says, well, yeah, go on. Go and walk in your own light. If you think you know the best way to live, go and do it. But you will lie down in torment. You will be so... I don't know what the word is. You'll be in agony because you've chosen a route that was not the way of the Lord. And so we all follow some light, some wisdom. You can follow Dawkins, Marx, or popular culture, but none of those people will die for you. <laughs> so let's, let's have a final point about discipleship. I, I, you know, take these away with you. This particular disciple chose to suffer. I, I wonder if you've seen that uh, phrase, I offered my back, I offered my cheeks, I did not hide my face. Um, there is a wrong way of suffering, which is to be abused. And uh, that's something that just is done to you. But, but here Jesus is not being abused. He is, he's, he's saying, okay, here's my back. I know what's coming. Here's my back. Um, he says, uh, here's my cheeks. Yeah, I'm not, not going to turn my face away from the direction I'm going. He chose to take a route, and it was a route to the cross. And, and he suffered for <laughs> he suffered for sin, for our sin in so doing. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer many years ago wrote a book in which he described something called cheap grace, and he said he asked the question. How, have, how has the German national church allowed Hitler full sway? How have they capitulated to Hitler? And he said this, they, they believed in cheap grace. They lost their grasp on the gospel. They came to believe, they moved from believing in a God who punishes sin, to teach a God who, who loves everybody and accepts everyone. There's no need for a cross. And he made the point that that made their discipleship weak. And so instead of there being in their own lives an element of sacrifice following the master, an element of costly obedience and costly grace, it wasn't there. There was no, there was no toughness. And so what happened was that they gave way to Hitler time and again, time and again. But we have a saviour who said the way to go will involve cost and suffering. And perhaps this is the final point that I, I want to put before you. Uh, it's this. Is there any cost in your Christian life? Is there any cost in your Christian life? And I, I think, you know, all of us are avoiders of pain. <laughs> Just as we're made like that. At that moment, when you know what it is right to do and you 
you tremble at doing it. At that moment, I want you to call upon the name of the Lord. And I want you to know that the Lord will help you. It's here in the passage. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Verse 7, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Call upon the name of the Lord. Sometimes you will feel like good old St. Athanasius, you know, St. Athanasius contra mundum, St. Athanasius against the world. Now, I'm not saying you've always got to be against the world because, you know, there's a lot in this world to share and rejoice, but, but at some points, Jesus and, and Athanasius had to be against the world in order to save the world. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to avoid the cross. I'm going to take the cross in order that you might be saved. Sorry, I'm going to stand up for what is right and true because actually it's the healthiest thing for our society. Sorry, I'm going to take the narrow road because although the broad road is easy, in the end, it's going to lead to my destruction and other people's destruction as well. So it's a challenging thing being a disciple, isn't it? And All I want to tell you is the Lord has been there before you And the Lord will be there at the end. And crucially, he's there with you in it as well. The sovereign Lord is my help. What a great word that is. It's the the same word for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helper. I need to stop. Let's pray. Lord, it's always hard in a a, a passage like this because it's easy to feel condemned and that is entirely the wrong thing to feel. Lord, we're not condemned. We're accepted by you. And Lord, very often we bottle out too. But we pray today for those small obediences that we can make. Not because it's a rule, but because it's the way you went. And Lord, help us to feel that there's something beautiful about walking in your steps. Grow in us, Lord, tenderness and toughness. Help us to be tender at the right time and tough at the right time. Lord, we feel totally inadequate for this. Preacher included. But together we we agree. If you help us, then we'll walk your way. If If you go with us, Lord, then we'll take those faltering steps of obedience. So come with us, Lord. Walk with us, Lord. Give us what we need, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. May the helper be not just outside us holding our hand, but inside us helping us to want to do the right thing. Lead us through, Lord, so that there is in us the mark of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. This we pray in his name. Amen.